You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Well, are you ready to jump into a Bible study? Yeah? Let's do that. The ushers will be in the aisles. You'll want to find your way to Matthew chapter 12. And you want to begin preparing your hearts for communion. We're going to have communion at the end of the service. And when they pass out communion today, kind of just hold out your hand, open hand, so they can pass it out touchless. And it'll help us do it quickly if you just have your hand out. And if you're wondering where the bread is, not where the beef is, but where the bread is, there's two cups and it's on the bottom cup. Some people in first service said, I didn't get the bread. You did. It was underneath the juice cup. So uh, two cups there and... um, uh, Anyway, um, Bible study, Matthew chapter 12, we're going through verse by verse. Uh, Today's message titled, Unpardonable Sin. Unpardonable Sin. Aren't you glad you have a God who loves to forgive sin? Aren't you thankful? Oh, how amazing His grace and how freely forgiveness flows. But the Bible does say that God has a sin that he will not forgive. It's unpardonable. And today Jesus is going to be teaching on that. And uh, we'll look at that together. Before we jump into the study, I want to kind of set the stage. I don't normally do this, but I want to make a point right out of the gate. Before we even start, I want to make a point. Uh, I want to remind you, I want to remind myself, we, you, you exist To be in a close relationship with God as your Lord. You exist to be in a close relationship with Jesus as your Lord. Think about that. You were not an accident. I was an accident, by the way. Uh, My parents got divorced... And then one night had a little spark in their eye and had a rekindling of a relationship for one night. And I was conceived. TMI, I know, TMI. (laughs) Nevertheless, here I am, right? Uh, You're not an accident. The Bible says, Jeremiah chapter 1, that God knew you before you were created. That He knew you before He fashioned you in your mother's womb. That He gifted you with your individual talents and gifts and styles and thoughts. And You're not an accident. You're created by God. Why did He create you? Well, here's why. He thought about you ahead of time and made you just the way you are, flaws and all, gifts and all. Because He loves you. And His goal, His hope, was to pour so much love into your life, Jane, that you would go, wow, your love's amazing, Harold. You'd look at God and go, God, man, your love for me is incredible, Kim. And you'd be so moved by it that you would go, I want to know a God who loves me like that. And I want to love Him back. And He would say, great, that's what I created you for. And I did it so that you would have a relationship with me as Lord. Lord? What is Lord? We don't go around saying Lord today. Hello, my Lord. Yes, my Lord. No, we don't do that anymore. And so it's kind of a forgotten word. Lord is not his name, Lord Jesus. No, 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 no. Lord is a position of authority. It's a position of ownership. It's a position of supremacy. And he wants us to have a relationship with him where we begin to love and admire and respect his authority in our life. David, could you tune me down or turn that there's a little bit of feedback for me? 
Um, and so that's what he wants for us. Uh, he wants us to, to walk in that lordship. And when we do, something wonderful happens. Our lives begin to glorify God. We begin to walk in the abundance and the fullness of all that he has for us. And our lives become rich and meaningful. And the Bible teaches that God is always reaching out to us to bring us into that kind of relationship. Through the Holy Spirit, God is constantly trying to speak to us that we might know him and enter into his love and into that relationship with him as Lord. It's what he is trying to do. He is always trying to reach us and speak to us. Amazing. Amazing. How many of you have ever tried to love somebody who didn't love you back? How many of you have ever tried to love somebody who didn't like you? You go out of your way. Maybe you invite them to dinner. Oh, you're trying to be nice to them, to reach out to them, to show them your affection, but they don't respond. Oh, that's a hard thing. I remember, that's happened to me a million times, but I remember in high school, in geography class, oh, there was this cute girl sitting right next to me, and she was beautiful. And she smelled, it was my first introduction to perfume. <laughs> She'd walk by, I'm like, what the heck, that doesn't smell like my buddies. That is really good. And she would write me notes in geography class. And her handwriting was even attractive. I'm like, wow. I want to know her. And she must like me. She's giving me notes. And so I try to pursue a relationship. No, no, no. I'm just bored in geography. I don't want any relationship whatsoever. Not interested. Everybody say, oh, yeah, that hurts. That hurts. I'm thankful because at 18, I met my wife and we've been happily married ever since. But, but, uh, uh, but my point is this, God is always pursuing us that way. And quite oftentimes, we're like, no, God, not really. I'm just kind of going to church today because, you know, I'm supposed to do it. I was just, you know... Not really interested in having a relationship with you as Lord. Just kind of, and he's always pursuing us. And Jesus faces this problem of us not always being interested. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is once again being rejected by the people that he came to serve and the people that he came to save and the people that he loves and the people that he wants to minister to. And this was not the first time they rejected him. He's pursuing them with a pursuing love. And he's so patient in doing so. He's so selfless in doing so. He continues to pursue them even though they're rejecting him. And I want you to know something. He does the same for you. He does the same to you, for you. Uh, Every time you've ever thought about God, it's because God was pursuing you. I know it doesn't seem that way to us, but that's clearly what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You didn't call me, I called you. You didn't seek after me, I sought after you. Every time you have ever thought, what is the meaning of life, man? There's got to be more to it than this. That was God calling you. Every time you felt guilty of sin, that was God calling you. Every time you thought, you know, I'm going to pray, that was God calling you. It may not seem like it, but God is always speaking. He's always reaching out to us. And it's Him that is looking for us. And uh, Jesus is so patient. He's so He's always pursuing us. But in Matthew 12, we learn that uh, there comes a time when ignoring God and not yielding to God, oh, I'll get serious tomorrow, or oh, yeah, 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 but, and we kind of put, there comes a time when God says, that's enough. And there is a sin that God says, I, I won't forgive. There is an unpardonable sin. And the title of the message this morning is Unpardonable Sin. And we left off chapter 12 a couple weeks ago. It was great to have Ben last week. Uh, 
couple weeks ago, Pastor JC did a great job, chapter 12, and we see that uh, the religious leaders of Israel were mad at Jesus. They were accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus shows them clearly, no, you guys got it wrong. I did not break the Sabbath. And Jesus made two points in the passage that Pastor JC took us in a couple weeks ago that I'd like to just bring to our remembrance once again. Look at chapter 12. You got your Bibles open? Chapter 12, verse 8. Look at this point that Jesus makes to the religious leaders. It's an amazing, powerful point. Look what he says in verse 8. The Son of Man, read it with me out loud. The Son of Man is what? Lord even of the Sabbath. What's that? That's an amazing, powerful point. Jesus is the authority, is the owner, is the boss, even over the Sabbath. Well, I want you to think about something. When was the Sabbath instituted? When did it come into existence? At the beginning of time. Thanks, Caleb. All the way back in the Garden of Eden. In the beginning of time, God created the earth in six days and then he rested on the Sabbath. He made man on the sixth day, so man's first day was a day of rest with God. And Jesus here has the audacity to say, listen religious leaders, I am even the authority, the Lord, the owner, the creator of the Sabbath. What's he saying? I'm God. I'm God. Very powerful statement. By the way, for that statement, they wanted to crucify him. That was the defining mark that made them say, I want to crucify him. Look at another very powerful point he said in verse 6 of chapter 12. Uh, he says, yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. That may not mean a lot to us here in California but may I just remind you of a world truth. The most sacred, the most holy, the most expensive real estate on the earth is the Temple Mount. All kinds of wars have been fought over it. It is the most sacred place in the world. And Jesus has the audacity to say, listen, one greater than the temple is standing here. Very powerful statements. And for these statements, one greater than the temple, and I am the Lord, even over the Sabbath, the Jews sought to destroy him. Verse 9, let's pick it up here, and let's jump into our study. Now when he, that's Jesus, had departed from there, he went into their synagogue as, he, as his regular practice was. Hey, good on you today for coming to church. This was Jesus' regular practice too. He would go into the synagogues. He would hear God's word taught. He would teach God's word. Verse 10, And behold, there in the synagogue there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Yeah, they didn't care about the man's hand. They didn't care about the man. They didn't care about Jesus. They just wanted to be what? They just wanted to be right. They just wanted to prove they had more power. They just wanted to say they're better than Jesus. Verse 11. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. I love the logic of Jesus. He's incredibly wise. What an amazing uh, answer to give. Uh, as Christians, you don't have to check your brain at the door. As a matter of fact, we as Christians start becoming the highest thinkers that there are. I hate the term blind faith. Faith is intelligent. It is the most wise, profound thing that you can do. It is uh, when you really begin to start thinking and becoming human. 
It is when you uh, become greater than the animal kingdom. When you start thinking that life is more significant than what we should eat, drink, or what we should wear. There is something more. Oh, let us bring our brains to the table. It is God who said, come, let us reason together. You were given an intelligent mind with an amazing IQ that you might understand the mysteries of God. And here... Jesus shows that logic and he says, listen, if you've got a lamb that falls into a pit, won't you pull it out on the Sabbath? In those days, you would dig a pit for the wolves to come. Around the sheepfold, you would dig pits so that the wolves might fall into them to protect the sheep. But sometimes the sheep were kind of dumb and they would just kind of wander off and thunk, fall into the pit. And if they did, you'd pull it out. And Jesus says, now listen, aren't you far more valuable than a sheep? And the answer, in case you're wondering, is yes. I know we live in a day when we like dogs more than people. And let me tell you, that's wrong. You were created to be in a relationship with your God. And to have his love being poured into you. So that you might then take that love and love him back. And then begin loving others with profound love. You were created for something far more significant than fluffy and if you find yourself liking Fluffy more than people, it's time to repent. Because having ten cats is not an abundant life. <laughs> but loving people is an abundant life. Walking with Jesus is an abundant life. And uh, may we get the, the ship righted, right? Uh, I kind of went off on a tangent. Where are we? What verse is that? Thank you. Um, how much more valuable? Uh, verse 13. Then he said to him, stretch out your hand. And amazingly, can you imagine this? Wouldn't you love to see this? There's a guy with a withered hand, you know, just a birth defect, whatever. I don't know. And there he says, stretch out your hand. He goes, what? What'd you say? I thought you said, stretch out my hand. Yeah. Stretch out your hand. Wait, what, what do you mean? Stretch out your hand. I can't do that. Stretch out your hand. God often calls us to do what we cannot do on our own. But the calling of God is the enabling of God. And you know what he does? He stretches out his hand. Amazing. Amazing. And look what it says. Stretch out your hand. And it was stretched out. And it was restored as whole as the other hand. And the guy's stoked, right? He's stoked. And look at this, verse 14. Talk about no logic. Look at this. It's hard to believe this is in there. And the Pharisees went out and plotted against him, against Jesus, how they might destroy him. Crazy. They called a religious council together. All the high power, all the, uh, the, the top brass. And they started planning how they might destroy him. And this is why, because he made himself Lord of the Sabbath and greater than the temple. Verse 15, but when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there and great multitudes, tremendous masses, great multitudes followed him. And look at this, and he healed them all. All. Jesus wants to heal your life. Jesus wants to heal my life. I have some radical uh, deficiencies. And Jesus wants to heal them. I'm insecure. And Jesus says, I want you to step out in security. And you say, I can't do that. And he says, I'm calling you to do it. And the call of God is the enabling of God. I want you to think of others more highly than yourself. I can't do that. Stretch out your hand. You can do this. I'm, I want you to be a light to the world. I want you to be a leader. I want you to be a builder of men and women. I can't do that. I'm calling you to it. The calling of God is the enabling of, of God. And, and, and uh, look at this. He heals them all. He wants to heal, heal us. And you know what happened? Everyone started come to him, coming to him. Jesus' fame is becoming renowned. Everybody's coming out. 
and they're hearing His words, they're hearing His teaching, they're being healed spiritually and physically, and their, their, their lives are being transformed. And look at verse 16, very interesting. And yet He, Jesus, warned them not to make Him known. Why? Why did Jesus say that in verse 16? Why did Jesus tell people, hey, don't promote me? Why? Have you ever wondered that? Why did Jesus tell people, don't promote me? He did it frequently. Jesus was so powerful. He was so wise. He was so winsome. He was such a great leader that the masses could have easily been whipped up into a frenzy. And they wanted to be. They're like, wow, he's like a man. Let's have him be king. And they could have easily been whipped up into a frenzy to riot against Rome and to establish Jesus as king. And Jesus was fully aware of this very present danger. And you know what he knew? If that would have happened, it would have ended in tremendous bloodshed and loss of life. Why? Because he did not come to be king. He came to serve. He did not come to be political. To fix all the evil in the world. To establish a throne. To overthrow Rome. He came to die on a cross to take the punishment of yours and my sins. So that one day when he does set up that kingdom, we can actually belong to it. He came to die on a cross for you and for I. Jesus died on a cross taking the punishment of God's wrath so that our sin would be punished so that it didn't have to be punishment. That we didn't have to take the punishment. We could take his righteousness as a free gift. That's in the gospel and it's amazing. And that's what he came to do. Uh, Jesus came not to overthrow Rome but to die on a cross. And for this reason Jesus charges the people not to promote him, not to lift him up as, as a king, not to overthrow Rome. Look what he says in, in uh, uh, let's pick up right where we left off, verse 16. Yet he warned them not to make him known. Why? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, 700 years before Jesus came on the earth, wrote these words. Behold, verse 18, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. Who's speaking in that passage? God. God speaking. He says, behold. Or in other words, pay attention to him. Or in other words, stop everything and look at this. This is my servant whom I have chosen. He's my beloved and my soul is well pleased. Look at this. I will put my spirit upon him. That's Jesus. God's spirit on the man Jesus. And look what it says. He will tear, declare justice to the Gentiles. Justice to the Gentiles? Who are the Gentiles? That means the, all the nations of the earth. Those who had seemingly been forgotten by God. Oh, the Jews thought they were God's chosen people and everybody else was second class. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm sending him to bring justice to the Gentiles, to all the nations. Justice? What does it mean to bring justice? What is God saying when he says that he's going, to, Jesus is going to bring justice to the nations? What's he saying? Justice means to be made right with God, to be justified, to be made just as if you have never sinned. And he says, this is my, son, this is my servant. I am well pleased with him. I'm going to pour my spirit upon him. He is going to bring justice to the Gentiles, to all the people of the world. Amazing, amazing. Verse 19, look at this. He will not quarrel. Who's the he there in verse 19? That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. He will not quarrel or cry out. 
nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. What does that mean? Did people hear Jesus' voice in the streets? Absolutely. He was a street preacher. He went out just like we're doing here, outdoors, sharing the gospel. That's what he did. So what does it mean they won't hear his, his voice in the streets? You know what it means? It means he's not going to have a protest. He's not going to have signs up that say vote for Trump or vote for Biden. He's not going to have picketing and all that kind of stuff. Vote for Jesus. Vote for Jesus. That's what it's saying. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the street. In other words, he's not going to overthrow Rome. Well, if he's not going to do that, what will he do? Look at verse 20. Well, here's what he will do. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking flax he will not quench. Until he sends forth justice to victory. Wow. Some really cool things there. A bruised reed? What is that? Yeah, a bruised reed is beautiful. A reed is beautiful. They're on the side of the rivers. They blow back and forth in the wind. But sometimes the wind blows a little too hard or somebody brushes by one and that reed, instead of just flowing like this, it creases and it goes... And in man's eyes, it's now worthless. And here's what Jesus says, a bruised reed I won't break. Hey, are you beaten up? Are you cast down? Have you been stepped on? Have you been wounded? Have you been hurt deeply? Here's what Jesus says, I understand. And I've come not to crush you, but to give you life and to strengthen you. And a smoking flax, I won't quench. What's a smoking flax? Oh, it's a little ember that's trying to be a flame, but it's too weak. It's burnt out. And it's ready to smolder. Are you burnt out? Are you weary? Are you fatigued? Do you feel like giving up? Jesus says, I understand and know this. I came to fan the flame. I came to reignite you. I came to restore your life. I came to rebuild your marriage. I came to establish your heart. I came to refill your joy. I came to bring you life and life abundantly. I didn't come to set up my kingdom in a physical kingdom. I came to save you. And to build you. What an amazing God. Now look at this word. Till he brings forth justice to victory. What does that mean? Oh there is a day coming. When he will crush the smoking flax. And crush the broken reed in judgment. But not until he brings salvation to everyone who wants it. And look at this. Verse 21. And in his name, the Gentiles, all the nations of the earth will trust. Wow, powerful words. Just amazing. We learn something here. Uh, uh, Jesus, even though he was so qualified to be king on the earth, so qualified with wisdom and power and splendor and, and dominion, even though he was so qualified, Jesus did not promote himself. Interesting. He knew the Father's will was not for him to come and to promote himself, but for him to come and to be the servant of all. What a humble, gracious God that we serve. And so Jesus did not allow others to elevate him. Instead, he gave himself entirely to building up others, a bruised reed and a smoking flax. We can learn something from Jesus here, something that is... Uh, important for us to hold on to. It is wise not to promote ourselves. It's just wise not to promote ourselves. I know we have a desire to do that. It's called the sin nature. We love promoting ourselves. We love taking credit for the good idea. We love being in the meeting and being the one who fixed the problem and getting all the recognition. We love being seen as the one who's smart or funny or pretty or strong or whatever. We love that. We love promoting ourselves. Can I ask you a question? Why do we love that so much? Well, it's because, what would you say? Why? Why, why do we love promoting ourselves? 
Why is it such a temptation for us? Why do we like to buy clothes that make us look better than we really are? Skinnier than we really are? Stronger than we really are? We're insecure. Great answer. Why are we insecure? Why? Why are we insecure? Every one of us here is insecure. Why? Why? No, I'm not insecure. Let me show. Oh, there you go. Right? Promoting yourself. Why are we insecure? Can I tell you why? Because you were created for greatness by God. You were created to walk and talk with God. You were the supreme creation of all of God's creation. God created all the animals and He made all the animals for man. He created the earth and He made that for man to enjoy. But He made man for Himself. He said, out of all the creation, you are set apart for me. And that gave man a position of incredible worth and the problem is we have fallen from that position and we are desperately climbing to get it back and so we want to show everybody how strong we are or how beautiful we are or how powerful we are or how funny we are or how talented we are or how smart we are and take credit in the meeting and make sure everybody knows it was my idea and let me impress you with my house and show you how great my everything is. My life is perfect. Let me put it on Instagram. Let me impress you with how let me promote myself, me. Ben Corson was here too long. <laughs> Wearing off on me. And you know what that is? That is a sin. That is a sin. And when we promote ourselves, there's a big problem, man. There's a big problem. When we promote ourselves, we only have one way to go from there. Which direction is that? Down. Down. The disciples were always arguing about who was the greatest because uh, they had the same insecurities that you and I have. And Jesus didn't come to them and say, guys... Don't argue about being the greatest. That's a bad desire. He did not say that. Instead, he asked him a question. He said, do you want to be great in God's kingdom? And the answer was what? Yeah, tell me how. And here's what Jesus said. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Learn to be what? The servant of all. You see, God's kingdom is different than how you and I think. We think if we show everybody how amazing we are, then we'll feel good. And here's what God says, just the opposite. If you show everybody how amazing you are on Instagram, you're going to alienate people. But instead, if you come in and you lift other people up as better than yourself, if you care about them, if you go and build others, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have tons of friends. And if in the meeting, instead of taking credit for yourself, you build up your team, here's what's going to happen. Your team's going to grow. It's going to be powerful. Your boss is going to recognize it, and he's going to promote you. If you're not walking around trying to build yourself, but you're trying to build up others, the smoking flax, the bruised reed, you're walking around like Jesus, not elevating yourself, elevating others. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have tons of influence. You're going to have God pouring a spirit into you. Your boss is going to set you aside and say, hey, look, we'd like to promote you. Your neighbor's going to come to you and says, hey, look, I need some help. Would you help me? Uh, your friends are going to come to you and say, hey, look, uh, I, well, I need some counsel. Here's what's going to happen. If you humble yourself, you only have one way to go. God's going to lift you up. But if you promote yourself, you only have one way to go. Jesus says it this way over and over in the Bible. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you want God to resist you or do you want God to lift you up? Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And we are to imitate him. Let's beware of self-elevation, self-promotion. It does not look good on you. Do these jeans make my butt look bad? Yes. <laughs> Self-promotion makes your butt look bad. Don't do it. 
Don't do it. Let me ask you, who are the religious leaders trying to promote? How does it look on them? Do you think they saw it? I don't either. And neither do we when we do it. Jesus is going to do something here very interesting right in front of these religious leaders. Look at verse 22. Look what he does. For those of you watching online, wondering why I'm pausing, I didn't have a stroke. There was a siren that went by. Uh, Verse 22, follow along with me. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute. You think you have problems. Here's a guy who's blind. He's deaf. He cannot speak. And on top of that, he's demon-possessed. Crazy. Consider the agony this man must be living in. And someone brings him to Jesus. And he heals him so that the blind and the mute both spoke and saw. That's just amazing. That's a bruised reed being restored. That's a smoking flax being brought into his right mind and into full power. And I wonder, don't you wonder, how did this blind and deaf man become demon-possessed? How did that happen? We can't be demon-possessed by just, just like, I'm just walking down the street, going to 7-Eleven, and all of a sudden, bam, a demon. It doesn't work that way. You have to be in the occult. You have to be in the witchcraft. You have to be doing something to let that happen to you. How did it happen? I don't know. Did his parents, was he born blind and deaf? And his parents took him to physicians and they gave up on physicians. And then when they couldn't help them, they started getting into the weird stuff like witchcraft to heal him. The metaphysical stuff. Maybe the occult. Maybe he got demon possessed that way. Or maybe, maybe, probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe his mom was a witch. She was practicing witchcraft. You know what witchcraft was, by the way? A witch always has a giant brew with a broom, right? And what are they making in that giant pot? Drugs. That's what witchcraft is. In the, in the, in the Bible, it's called pharmakia. Today, we have tons of witchcraft happening. It's pharmakia in the Greek, in the Bible. Pharmacy. Maybe his mother was a witch and she was taking drugs and those were birth defects from, I don't know, maybe... Maybe it was, hey, it could be a lot of things, I don't know. But here's what I do know. They brought him to Jesus and he was healed. Hey, you have some friends who are pretty messed up. And you're thinking, how can we help them, man? Here's how you can help them. How can you help them? Bring them to, not church, bring them to what? Jesus. You can do that by bringing them to church, but don't think church is the magic answer. You have to follow up and make sure they understand what's going on and help them see. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Jesus says, bring them to me. And he heals him. And look how amazing it is. I mean, look what happens. Verse 23. And all the multitudes were amazed. They were just blown away. I mean, here's this demon-possessed guy. And Jesus didn't say, okay, now before I heal you, I've got a lecture for you. What in the heck were you doing to get demon-possessed? No lecture, no rebuke, no, no judgment, no shame, no you're such a loser, no nothing, just be healed. And immediately, this blind man sees, this deaf man hears, this man who couldn't speak is articulate, and this demon-possessed man is now in his right mind, and he's like, Hallelujah. And look at this. Look what it says. And the multitudes, the masses of people saw it and they were amazed. And they said, could this be the son of David? Son of David? What does that mean? Well, that is a phrase for the Messiah. You see, God made promises to people. They're called covenants. 
that the Messiah was going to come. He made the first one in the Garden of Eden, right after Adam and Eve sinned. He said, Adam and Eve, the Messiah is going to come through your lineage. Really? Wow. Yes, and he'll cleanse you of sin. And then later, through Abraham, the Jewish nation, he said, the Messiah is going to come through you, Abraham. Really? Wow. And then later, through King David. David was the king of Israel at the time. And God comes to him and says, David, the Messiah is going to come more specifically through your lineage. And Jesus was the son, physically, the lineage of David. God keeps his promises. And the people are amazed when they see this power, this healing, this wisdom, this kindness, this compassion, this tenderness, this ability to cast out demons with a word and they said this is the Messiah just amazing amazing how incredible Jesus is God in a human body and he's walking around at their midst in their in their midst and at his word I mean look at the power and with all this power, the multitudes are amazed and they say, wow, Jesus is the Messiah. And look what it does. This makes the religious leaders who just rebuke Jesus for healing somebody on the Sabbath, how does that make them look? Like an idiot. And what does that do to their insecurities when they feel like an idiot? Oh, and when you feel like an idiot and you feel insecure and you're not secure in Jesus Christ, you know what happens? You do more stupid things. Look what they do. The most stupid thing you can imagine. Look at verse 24. Now when the Pharisees heard it, when they saw it, when they see this guy delivered, and they see all the multitudes going, that's the Messiah. They say, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Crazy. How illogical is that? Beelzebub was a common word in that day, a common word in Jesus' day for the devil. Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. And just like we have common phrases right now in our day, right? Like, you know, I can't think of a cool one right now, so I'll give a dorky one. Hang loose, right? I mean, we know what that means, right? Uh, Beelzebub was a common phrase they understood. Beelzebub was Lord of the Flies or, or Lord of the Filth. And it was a common name for the devil. And they're saying, Jesus cast out demons by the devil. What was that? Does that make sense to anybody? No. You know why? Because it doesn't make sense. And when you are trying to elevate yourself, you will do stupid things that do not make any sense. That's just what we do. And here's the reality of it. The fact that the multitudes were believing that was Jesus was the Messiah, it drove the self-promoting, self-righteous religious leaders to panic. And unwittingly, without thinking, they throw out this foolish accusation that Jesus is casting out demons by Satan. Uh, makes no sense whatsoever. I love how MacArthur said it. Uh, there's a great phrase, uh, a quote I want to give you. MacArthur says, These religious leaders could not tolerate the thought that this Jesus, who denounced them as unrighteous hypocrites and trampled on their self-righteous religious traditions, could actually be the long-awaited Messiah. Wow. That had to be a piece of humble pie, right? What did I say? If we promote ourselves, we only have one place to go. And there they are. There they are. We can learn something from these self-righteous religious leaders that would be very good for us to grasp and apply in our own lives. Something really to hold on to. It's a simple truth, but it's really profound. Self-promotion blinds us to seeing God's work in our life. Self-promotion blinds us to seeing God's work in our life. God is moving. Jesus is in their midst. He is healing. He is saving. He is opening the eyes of the blind. But they rationalize it away as not being of God. They can't see God working in their own midst. Isn't that crazy? Today our world is in a mess. Our kids are depressed. 
Kids are supposed to have fun. Today our kids are depressed. They're cutting themselves. They're taking drugs. Suicide nationwide higher than ever. Pedophilia. How many of you have seen a, a radical increase in just the discussion about pedophilia lately? Crazy. We're in trouble. Transgenderism. Homelessness. How did all this happen? Well, we've kicked God out of schools. We've kicked God out of government. We've kicked God out of sports. We've kicked God out of the public sector. But that can't be it. You see, when we lift, up our, lift ourselves up, we cannot see. It blinds us from seeing God move all around us. Do you know what? Our nation could be healed really quickly. Did you see at the Democratic National Convention, they did the Pledge of Allegiance and they removed the word God from the Pledge of Allegiance? Yeah, if you do that, you're going to have some radical problems in the world. And when we promote ourselves, we blind ourselves from seeing God moving in our midst. And if we are self-absorbed, self I tell you what, we will blindly miss out on the things that God is doing around us. Want me to illustrate it for you? It is easy for men who get so focused on self, so focused on climbing the corporate ladder, so focused on being significant and important in the corporate world that they miss out on the miracle of raising children. With whom they are the most important most mighty, most significant hero in the world. It's already given to them freely. They don't have to climb anything and they miss out on the miracle God is doing right in front of them. Because they're so self-absorbed. And women get so caught up in what others think of them that they miss out on the work that God is doing all around them. Selfishness blinds us to the work that Jesus wants to do in our life. That is the bad news. But I've got some good news. I have an antidote to that problem. You know what it is? Humility opens our eyes to God and to His work. Humility opens our eyes to the work that God wants to do. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? They shall see God. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does that mean? Pure in heart. If you ask me, hey Dave, are you pure in heart? Not a chance. I'm a sinner to the core. But that's not what that means. That's not what Jesus... All of us are sinners, right? The Bible teaches that. There's not any righteous. No, not one. So what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the pure in heart? Here's what he means. He means, blessed are those who are friendly because they really care for the person, not because they're trying to get something out of them. That's being pure in heart. Blessed who is, are those who are, are in the meeting and they're trying to build others instead of just building themselves. That's pure in heart. And here's what he says, you're going to see God move. You're going to see God. Pure in heart means you're not duplicitous. It means that you're not being nice to somebody just for what you can get out of them. It means that you actually are caring for them. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. Jesus is trying to reach these people. And, and yet these religious leaders, they're coming up with these ridiculous things. Look at this. Let's, let's move on in verse 25. They're calling Jesus, uh, you know, being powered by Satan. Uh, look at verse 25. Let me hear you read these uh, one, two, three, four, five words together. The first five words. Read it with me in verse 25. Let me hear you. But Jesus knew their thoughts. Say it again with me. Does that scare you or does that bless you? Jesus knows your thoughts. Does that scare you or does that bless you? It ought to do both. If you're a thinking man, it ought to do both. Because I still want to be a good, I, want to, I just still want to be a good person who, who loves others well. And yet I'm clumsy and I fall short. And sometimes I'm so thankful, oh Lord, I thank you, you know my heart. I tried to do the right thing, I just stepped on myself. 
Jesus knew their hearts. But there's other times when that should bring fear into us. Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. United States of America, pay attention. Our partisan politics have gone way too far. We are no longer have parties trying to care about the well-being of the country and the well-being of the people. They're only trying to promote their own agenda and both sides are equally to blame. You watch Fox News and they make Trump looked like the savior of the world. Can I tell you something? He's not. You watch CNN and they try to make uh, President Trump look like the devil. Can I tell you something? He's not. He's a flawed human being trying to do the best job he can. And it's time for us to put away our partisan politics and actually bring good ideas to the table of how we might move forward. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And every city or every house divided against itself will not stand. Hey, I want you to know that is true for your marriage as well. You are not competing with each other. You are there to serve each other and to outserve each other. And if you outserve each other, you will have an incredible marriage. A house divided cannot stand. It is also true for a church. You know what I know the enemy would like to do in you? Oh, you are in safe territory right here, man. You are in a spot where your life is going to flourish and blossom. You're hearing God's Word. You're getting wisdom and truth from God's Word brought into your heart. You have the Holy Spirit here collectively in the church body able to minister to all of your needs and you are going to thrive if you're here. And so guess what he wants to do? He wants you to think, Oh man, that person over there, they drive me nuts. And wants to bring some petty argument up so that a house divided cannot what? Stand. Don't let it come in. Don't let it come in. If you have aught with a brother or sister in the church, knock it off. Repent and go get it right. Fix it today. Amen? Amen. Listen, he says, your, your logic is insane. A house divided cannot stand. Verse 26, if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Answer, it won't. That's the stupidest argument I've ever heard. He's basically calling them, your idiots, as nicely as he possibly can. Verse 27, let me give you another example. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by Satan, of whom then do your sons cast them out? Sons there doesn't mean biological sons. It means your disciples, your followers. Hey, just go ask all of the, the, your, your buddy priests. Are they fighting against evil by the power of Satan? They'll tell you, no, we're doing it by the power of God. Just use your head is what he's saying, right? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Go ask them what they think about it. But look at this, another powerful statement right here, the third one he makes, look at this. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then highlight this, man. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Wow. Not only am I Lord of the Sabbath, not only is there one greater than the temple standing here, but also thirdly, the kingdom of God is in front of you right now. Wow, incredibly powerful. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Wake up. Smell the coffee. Acknowledge it. Repent. You're in trouble. And let's move forward in greatness together with Jesus as Lord. Verse 29. How can you say, excuse me, or how can one enter a strong man's house? The strong man here is Satan in this example, Beelzebub. How can one enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Answer, you can't. You can't, right? How many of you could overtake Amazon right now and start controlling Amazon and running Amazon? How many of you could do that? Nobody. What do you have to do to do that? You first got to remove somebody. Who do you got to remove? Jeff Bezos, right? You got to get him out of the way and say, listen, I'm in charge now. Good luck with that, by the way. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, you think that's hard to do on a company. 
Try it spiritually. How many of you can cast out Satan right now? None of us. How many angels can cast out Satan right now? None of them. There is only one who has the power to bind Satan. And you know who that is? Jesus Christ. And he can do it with the word. And he just demonstrated, demonstrated how he does it. In the book of Revelation, when all hell is breaking loose, do you know what he says? Jesus comes down and he says, hey, lock him up and put him in the pit. And with the word, it's all over. I wish he'd say it now, don't you? That would be nice. Verse 30. He who is not with me, Jesus speaking, is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Will you read that verse out loud with me? He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Wow. Wow. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you're either for me or you're against me. There is no neutral ground. Very interesting, by the way. We don't often think this way, but here's what Jesus is saying. Think this true. Think, think this through. We do not have to oppose Jesus to be against him. If we are not with Jesus, we're already against him. What does that mean? What does that mean? We don't have to oppose Jesus to be against him if he is not the impetus of our life. If he is not everything we are all about. If he is not our number one love and our number one passion, we are already against him. Not my words, Jesus' words. Wow. Very interesting to see how Jesus sees it. There's only two possible relationships we can have with God. We are either with Jesus or we're against Jesus. There is no other possibility. And you say, well, that's not true. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm not sure where I'm at. You know, I think Jesus, hey, Jesus says, you're against me. If I'm not the Lord, then you're against me. If I'm not the Lord of your life. You say, well, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm trying, I'm considering, I'm, I'm evaluating. Great, great. But don't take too long. Some of you have been evaluating for decades. You're not evaluating. You're making a statement. I don't want him to be Lord over me. You see, we can learn something from this religious leaders, right? We can learn something from them. We can learn something about human nature. Their response reveals something about, uh, about psychology of humans here. When people reject Jesus, it's not because there's a lack of evidence about Jesus. People reject Jesus because they don't want him to be Lord of their life. There was plenty of evidence for the religious leaders to see the truth. They just don't want Jesus to be Lord over them. And Jesus says, you're either for me or against me. There's no other place. Everyone here Everyone here is in one of two possible relationships with God. You're either with Jesus or you're not. And here's what's amazing. God will forgive everyone of any sin if they are with Jesus. You can be a liar. You can be a cheater. You can be a swindler. You can be an adulterer. You can be a womanizer. You can be a pedophile. You can be a rapist. You can be a drug dealer. You can be a backstabber. You can be two-faced. And Jesus will forgive you of all of it. That's amazing grace. If you are with him, as Lord. If you make him Lord of your life and repent of those things, he will forgive you. That's amazing grace. Everyone can have any sin forgiven if they are in Jesus, but God will not forgive anyone of any sin if they are not with Jesus. That is the unpardonable sin. We want to make sure, man, that we are on the right spot with Jesus. You're either for me or against me. Here's my question to you. Is he the passion of your life? Is he the number one love of your life? 
Is he the Lord of your life? Not just, oh, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I think he's, yeah. But I'm kind of just dabbling in this Christianity thing. Cute girls at church, nice people at church. I like it. Hey, careful, careful. Is he the Lord of your life? You're either for him or against him. The religious leaders, he wasn't the Lord of their life. And because eternity is at stake, Jesus drives home the point. Let's look at these last two verses, and then we'll take communion together. Look at verse 31. Therefore, or in other words, in light of this truth that you're either for me or against me, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven man. You can write right by the side of that, amazing grace. What is blasphemy? Blasphemy is the open defiance of God. And Jesus is saying, every blasphemy will be forgiven men. But look what he says. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. There is an unpardonable sin. A sin that God will never forgive. Look what he says. He unpacks it more. Verse 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Either in, either in this age, that means in this life, or in the age to come. That means in the life thereafter, in eternity. For eternity, this sin will never be forgiven. No purgatory, not after a thousand years. No, never, it will never be forgiven. Jesus' words, not mine. Consider what Jesus is saying. Amazingly, he's saying, even if you blaspheme God, many of us have, GD, guess what we just did? We blaspheme God. When we blame God for evil, God, why are you allowing all this to happen to me? And you, if you loved me, you wouldn't. We're blaspheming God. All blaspheming of God, Jesus says, will be forgiven. Even the blaspheming of Jesus will be given, forgiven. Paul called himself a former blasphemer. Peter blasphemed Jesus, right? On the night that Jesus was being whipped and before he was going to the cross, the woman comes to him, the girl comes to him, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And he curses God, he blasphemes God and says, I don't know Jesus. He blasphemed Jesus and he was forgiven of it. The thief on the cross, they all blasphemed Jesus. There was the thief on the right side and a thief on the left side. And they said, hey, if you're the Messiah, do something, loser. Save yourself and save us. And they mocked him. And then Jesus uttered these words. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And the thief next to Jesus says, Jesus, you're amazing. Your love has touched my heart. I believe you really are who you say. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that blasphemer was forgiven. Amazing. Amazing. Blasphemy of God will be forgiven. Blaspheming of Jesus will be forgiven. But blaspheming of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Not in this age, nor in the age to come. What does it mean? Well, it's not something that you do one time. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not only unbelief, it's determined unbelief. It's willfully, continually ignoring the Holy Spirit's prompting to submit to Jesus as Lord, just like the religious leaders are doing here. Ample evidence of God speaking to them to bring them to truth and they're refusing to come or they're saying, not now, I'll do it later. And Jesus says, careful, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
For the thief, for the adulterer, for the murderer, there is hope. Oh, the gospel message will come. God will speak. And you can say, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and be forgiven. But the person who continually hardens his heart to the lordship of Jesus Christ has placed himself on a sure road that leads to eternal separation, eternal hell, separation from God. And so may we be careful. I know that there are some here who God is trying to speak to us and bring us into an abiding relationship with Him as the Lord of our life, but we're refusing to listen. And we're saying maybe later, maybe some other time. He's talking to you about your attitudes. He's talking to you about your actions, about your pride, about your sin, about your marriage, about your addictions. And yet you are saying, ah, later, later. Careful, you are in very dangerous ground. There comes a time when God says, that's it. I won't speak to them again. They've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us who are Christians, be careful not to quench the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians. Quench the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? It means extinguish, it means to snuff out, it means to subdue. The Holy Spirit speaking to you, listen to Him. As He talks to you about your addiction, as He talks to you about the way you just talked to your wife, as He talks to you about your pride, pay attention, pay attention. There are those who just are elevating themselves. Even when they come to church, they just come to judge everything. They don't come to hear from God. They come to elevate themselves. They judge the donuts. They judge the bagels. They judge the ushers. They judge the concrete. They judge the message. They judge the coffee. And they think they're better than all of it. You are in damnable, dangerous position. Pay attention. Right now, hear this. The Lord is not rebuking you. He's not trying to crush your smoking little flax. He's trying to flan it into, fan it into flame. He's trying to bring you back to life. Listen to Him. We're going to take communion. I want to give you an opportunity to repent before we do and to make yourself right with the Lord. All you have to do is say, I believe you. I know you are who you say you are. And I submit my life to you right now. Have mercy on my soul, a sinner. Bow your eyes, excuse me, bow your heads and close your eyes. If that's your desire right now, just between you and the Lord, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just going to ask you to talk to God and make Him the Lord of your life right here, right now. Do not take communion if He is not Lord of your life. Do not take communion if He is not Lord of your life. For you are resisting His work in your life. If that's your desire, pray something like this. Jesus, I have been resisting you. I know your spirit has been speaking to me. And I've just been uh, loving sin. I love my, I, I, I want, I've just been elevating myself. Jesus, please forgive me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross to save me in my sin. And I repent of my sin now, Lord. I ask that you give me the strength to walk a new life with you as the Lord, the authority, the boss, the owner of my life. I want to be led, guided, and directed by you, Lord. I give my life to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.